G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. Happy New Year. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan, and good to be with you again for another year, but hey, not altogether under the circumstances that we would have wished for. Absolutely. It, uh, yeah, another year with COVID somewhere hanging over our heads, I guess. And, and look, Dad, I must admit, when we finished at the end of last year, I probably had grand plans of thinking, you know, I'll go away for a couple of weeks and fully recharge the batteries and come back and hit next year with a whole range of new momentum and... I must admit, coming back, it's, I don't know about you, but it's felt a little bit the same in some ways and maybe a little bit more the same than I was even hoping for. It's just really hard when it extends further, isn't it, something like this? But mind you, I do remember that you were heading to Newcastle as part of your plans. And in Australia, that was a real hot spot of COVID before you went. And so good on you for following through with all the plans that you look to do. But there's been so much uncertainty, hasn't there? And a number of people missed out on some of their Christmas plans or holiday plans or other family members weren't able to, to make it. So there's been a kind of disappointment and frustration, hasn't it? Especially compounded by if people's plans were thwarted, but also maybe this sense of weariness of it continuing on for another year, having to face COVID being the dominant theme in our lives again. Well, absolutely. And like, yeah, as, as you said, I was lucky enough to get away for a little bit and yeah, headed to Newcastle and Sydney. And look, I must admit, I feel like the luckiest man in Australia to have just about been in every hotspot and uh, somehow still managing to test negative on the, uh, on the test. So yeah, feeling very lucky. But I suppose, you know, the overwhelming feeling for me in many ways was going away over the break, thinking that time of I think making allowances for yourself due to COVID, like I think I thought that maybe this year would be a little bit different in terms of particularly towards the end of last year, I think maybe a lot of us were starting to feel a little bit burnt out, starting to really feel tired after a big year of work and it was natural and it was absolutely justified and fair to I suppose make those allowances for yourself whether it be you know whether it be take a morning taking a little bit more easy than you would have or whether it be munching on a particular dessert that you may uh, may not have gotten into otherwise but you're allowing yourself that little creature comfort in some ways and and one thing that I was really hoping was that we'd get into this year and there would be that sense of a new year a different situation not as many restrictions and we could almost start to remove some of those allowances in a way and and I suppose the balance I think that I've become aware of is you know you, you really do want to start the year with momentum you want to launch into it and really get things going but at the same time you don't necessarily want to put yourself in that situation where you're feeling really tired and and heading towards burnout towards the end of the year so for me I guess it was a slight I suppose disappointment in some ways that it is still a, a consideration, I suppose, that's on my mind in some ways in the sense, yeah, I very much wanted to get back and launch into work and, and really capitalise on the momentum that can be gained from a new year, but there is still some of those lingering feelings from last year in a way. Yes, look, I think there's a deep disappointment that many people feel and that I would share in as well. Late last year, it was looking as though things were progressing so well in Australia and a lot of restrictions were being loosened and then very soon afterwards, Omicron really hit in December and it's certainly taken off in Australia, I believe, in the last week the incidence of spread of Omicron per head of population has now exceeded that in the US. Now, we've not been used to that in Australia, and what it's adding to is a great sense of uncertainty. That's the sense I get from 
clients as well as talking with colleagues, their experiences, family members and others, there's this real sense of uncertainty about how we're going to be affected by COVID this year. Even though the, one of the main things that's changed is people seem to have less anxiety about catching COVID itself. That's a main difference because many people know of others who've actually caught COVID and it's usually at the moment the dominant Omicron variant and that does seem to be milder. Plus in Australia there's that greater than 90% double vax level for adults and increasingly vaccinations for children. Many people are having boosters. So vaccinations and the milder variant are helping us be less fearful of catching the disease itself. However, there's this great uncertainty about whether we're suddenly going to have to go into isolation, how it's going to affect our work and social opportunities. And there's a real, well, I think there's a deep frustration and a weariness that goes with that. Well, I think it is interesting to think about because, you know, you say uncertainty and the whole pandemic has, has had a lot of uncertainty in many ways. But I think it's interesting to look at, for example, how things have changed a little bit in terms, like, as you said, First of all, there was that real anxiety about the virus itself. And, you know, for, for everything that we said before, that's no longer there, particularly, you know, for, for my age group, I guess, you know, me and my group of friends, there's not so much of that, I suppose, yeah, worry about, you know, the virus, you know, what's it going to be, how much will your health be impacted, all this sort of stuff. But now it's, it's more, you know, what do things look like going forward, you know, now that we're not necessarily right at the pinpoint of the pandemic, for lack of a better term, what are the circumstances that are going to be there for the next little while and and how can we almost plan around those? Yes, it is to do with the notion of plans, isn't it? And we're just, I suppose, adjusting to the idea that many of our short-term plans can be thwarted. It could be of a holiday or an important catch-up with friends or certainly an event such as a wedding or even a family gathering or celebration, but also with returning to work and people's consistency in being able to return to work or returning to school, even though there's a real push for children to be able to return to school, even if there is a lot of COVID in the community, around concerns for children's mental health, and believing that children are best at school rather than at home for all sorts of reasons. So there is this difficulty with planning to some extent, and it's going to call on us to be adaptive in many ways, isn't it? And looking at how we can still plan in some ways or exercise some control whilst realising that our plans have to be flexible. Well, it's one of the things that I thought would be really good to chat with you about today because, you know, before COVID, like I was certainly someone who I suppose set my life up in many ways around milestone events, like whether it be, you know, even friends' birthdays or like social occasions that you could look forward to, you could plan even, you know, a month, couple of months out and having a number of those events on the calendar, you could almost orient yourself towards them in terms of, you know, like, oh, I won't do anything this weekend because I've got a big weekend next weekend sort of thing. And I think at the moment it's a lot more, I suppose, immediate in terms of you know what we can even plan and this sort of stuff there's been so many plans that we've had to throw out the window and I think one thing that'll be really good to, to chat with you today in this podcast about is well what are some of the things that we can do outside of that when we don't necessarily have the ability to plan those big holidays big events big catch-ups what are some of the things that we can do in, in more our every day-to-day life uh, that's going to help us manage with with all the circumstances that are going on Yes, and in terms of plans and how we deal with things and how we adjust to the challenges we were talking earlier before the podcast, one thing that we were both thinking is many 
different people, we're going to be affected in different ways, aren't we, by the challenges. So as we said earlier, many people aren't quite so concerned as they used to be around the threat of COVID itself, although a number of people still will be. The elderly, the more physically vulnerable, so we shouldn't dismiss that threat and there's certainly still some delta around. I believe a lot of people who are still being hospitalised and certainly in ICU, it's more likely to be from delta and certainly more likely if people are unvaccinated. So the physical risk is still there for many people but for most of us it seems to have reduced considerably and so then the concerns that many of us have is more the impact some of the other direct and indirect impacts from COVID including on our work schooling family arrangements and other things like that so I suppose we can consider that for different groups too how different people might be affected. Well, I think that's a really important point to make because that is one of the things that I think is different about this stage of the pandemic compared to previous ones because, you know, there's a bit of chat recently about like personal responsibility and all that sort of stuff. And I think what that did in some ways was it shifted the onus of managing the pandemic in some ways from the government who has to do it on behalf of everyone to something a bit more individual. And one of the things about that is that the current situation is so different for just about every individual in terms of you know whether it be your age or you know your job status or or your hobbies and what you're into and how I suppose conducive that is to continue socially distancing and all this sort of stuff it is almost like everyone has their own set of circumstances that they're dealing with and you know even something like the potential danger of the virus is something that's going to be very very different if you're young to if you're older now that it is kind of out and about in the community and so I think it is an interesting phase of this pandemic because I think it's all on us a little bit more to come up with our own recipe in some ways and and that is something that's just going to be different for absolutely everyone. Yes, I think it's really interesting you highlight that issue of uh, personal responsibility or that term that again was used by the federal government, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison would use that term, that some people were suggesting, oh, that's just deflecting responsibility from the government to deflect away from the notion of maybe not having provided for enough rat tests to be available and other problems that might have occurred. But I still think that there's that worthwhile point of acknowledging that we are affected differently, so we will be making different choices. And one of the starkly different choices it seemed to me over the Christmas New Year period, well, after Christmas, it seemed to me a lot of young people, a lot of young adults, virtually preferred to get COVID. Like there's almost like a, a joke about people going to COVID parties, but I think there was almost literally true, not necessarily in going to try to get COVID itself, but to not be too concerned about whether people got it or not. The sense I had with many young adults is they were more concerned about whether they would get it at different times from their friends, so they would be, in a sense, out of kilter with their usual peer group. Whereas if they were all going through isolation at a similar time and then coming out of it at a similar time, it had a more limited impact on their social life. So I think that was one of the things that was a major shift with that particular, if you like, um, cohort. People who'd missed that opportunity for socialising in the past as much as they would like. People were choosing to catch up on that and face the risk of getting COVID. And many people saying afterwards, well, even if they did... Uh, catch, especially Omicron, it seemed to be fairly mild. But by the same token, when we consider personal responsibility, it also includes considering other people. And I noticed that young people, even if they were not concerned about getting COVID themselves, 
often express concern about passing it on to an elderly relative or someone else who's more vulnerable. So it didn't mean that people were being completely complacent or careless. People were making some of their own choices still. And I suppose that's what's important, that we think of how we might be affected and what choices we make, but still considering other people as well. And I think that's one thing that oh, well, certainly I've been really encouraged by, I think, in some ways too, in that you know circumstances are different for everyone, whether it be your age, your work, what all, all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, I think there is a sense of that in terms of you know you recognize everyone's got some stuff to deal with at the moment and I've had a few interactions you know I can I can think of one in particular with a a taxi driver actually who you know it was just a a really nice conversation from the point of hey you know we've both been through some stuff over the last couple of years you know what's your sort of take on this like you you know how friendly sort of have you found people all this sort of stuff and like that was just a, I suppose a really positive thing where we'd come from completely different experiences in many ways over the last couple of years I think he was kind of managing young kids and obviously I was kind of by myself and so for us to almost have such different experiences I was almost surprised by the level at which we could kind of connect over that I suppose shared experience or, or the commonality in our shared experience and I think that is something that we are going to be seeing a bit more of going forward and I, I think I've seen a little bit of it even you know start of this year sort of thing in that people recognise that everyone's got a bit on their plate at the moment and everyone's just basically doing all they can I think to help out people where they can and, and yeah just I suppose be a force for good rather than, than something that's going to cost people more stress and anxiety at the moment. Yes, and if we think of particular groups that we might empathise with or considering other people, it does strike me that the main people, some of the main people that we ought to acknowledge at the moment are the hospital workers. Like I understand that hospital workers, many are very stretched at the moment. Many have had to be in isolation, leaving their fellows short-staffed. It's led to a point where also a number of people have left their roles in hospitals because of a couple of years of extended demands. And there are a number of people who are having to adapt their usual work roles. For example, people who might have been in administrative roles in recent years who are having to, if you like, perform other tasks, clinical tasks on the wards. So whatever we do, that's not forget the plight of those people who are working in hospitals who are bearing the main brunt of more of a liberal strategy or a looser strategy, even if it's not fully a let-it-rip kind of strategy that some people might suggest. But there certainly are loosened restrictions and it's the hospital workers that might bear the brunt of that. And for many of them, they've experienced these extended demands over quite a period of time. So whatever community decisions we make... And no doubt, you know, governments have to factor that in. It's considering hospital staff, not just their availability, but also their well-being, and just to really appreciate the role that they've had helping us get through. Well, I think certainly it is something that we should acknowledge and, and make explicit as well, just the degree to which we appreciate what they do. And like I found it so interesting, Dad, being of an age, I guess, where you know, it, it takes a long time to study medicine. It, it takes a lot of, you know, determination, hard work, all this sort of stuff just to get there on the first day. And then there's a six-year course to go after it. And, you know, I'm of an age where I know a lot of people who, for example, they might have been not even one year out of university and they get thrust into the medical profession and it's a pandemic. And 
like my my word, that would be hard to deal with. And and to me, that's I think something that was maybe missed a little bit in the personal responsibility discussion, in that that's part of personal responsibility. Like you, you've I think got to take a little bit of that on board for yourself and, and go, gosh, how can I make it easy for these people? Or at the, at the very least. You know, am I doing anything that's making it harder? Because you know they're the things that should, I suppose, be cut out immediately. But, but I think it is a, it's an interesting aspect of that personal responsibility thing because it's not just about looking after yourself. It is about being, a, oh, I think, a, a good citizen, for lack of a better term, being someone who who puts into society rather than takes something away from it. Yes, and as far as that goes, it's also acknowledging, yes, the work of GPs and certainly nurses, people working in the disability sectors and welfare fields, many people in community settings also who've had very taxing roles over a lengthy period of time. But certainly particularly acknowledging hospital staff because the more people who contract Omicron, and still there's some Delta around, even if it's on average, a milder variant, still the sheer numbers of people contracting COVID at the moment is really taxing our health workers in a range of settings. But then we can think of also how other people are affected and certainly there are employees in a number of professions or industries who are especially affected by the uncertainty about their capacity to work, ongoing income. We know that many hospitality staff have had restricted roles. Also, just even people looking to run cafes or or office services in hospitality. There's also the employers who find it very difficult to get staff to continue the operations. And then, of course, there are artists and musicians. Musicians have really missed out over the last, well, couple of years, and there's this ongoing challenge and uncertainty that many of them face. So across a whole range of industries, and surprising in some ways to me, in psychology we've been a little less affected, even though already we've had an admin staff member and a psychologist who've contracted COVID in the last couple of weeks and have had to isolate. There are different ways that we've been able to adapt our work through telehealth and also many different industries and workplaces have been able to adapt different work from home arrangements or find flexible ways that people can still, in a sense, offer a service. But there are a number of industries where people can't and that certainly includes musicians and Yeah, no doubt there'd be many other work roles and industries where people would be very affected, including this sense of uncertainty going forward. How will we be going in coming weeks and months? Well, I think that's so true and, and, you know, not necessarily directly for me, but but, but one group that uh, that comes to mind for me, Dad, certainly maybe not having to deal with this as much is is parents and and families over the time. And, you know, I've even got some friends who are teachers and I know for a fact they've lent on parents a lot during the pandemic. But like you talk about, I suppose, the uncertainty going forward as well. Like it's, it's almost two things in terms of what we've dealt with and then going forward but I think in the context of you know parents and schools like there's even been talk about whether school will go back or not this year at all and and so I imagine for them that that's one thing that you know it's it's, yeah like we have dealt with all this sort of stuff but it's not necessarily over in that sense. Yes and so there might even be different rules from state to state I believe Queensland is looking at a couple of weeks delay going back to school. One thing I will mention about that because I think it is reflective of our maybe future approach going forward is that I note yesterday a number of experts in many fields including Pat McGorry 
professor of psychiatry and Catherine Bennett, an epidemiologist, and I think about 30 other experts in their fields, have advocated for schools going back on time. And they're emphasising the importance of children's mental health. Now, I think this is a broader kind of issue. We function best if we can be engaged in productive roles, in tasks, in roles, in activities. And certainly for school children, one of the main things that way is going to school. That includes their social interactions with other people. Now, this is another shift in our response to the pandemic at the moment, I think. Again, less emphasis on the physical threat of catching COVID itself, more emphasis on other consequences, including the mental health consequences. So I personally agree with that idea of being prepared to take a little bit more risk in terms of children contracting COVID and even passing it on to others because of the importance of them being able to engage in these ongoing life roles, that engagement, learning of skills, personal development, so important. And also it strikes me that actually it's thought that children are not necessarily at more risk being at school anyway, to some extent there are suggestions that children might be less at risk than being in the home. But it does add to the uncertainty that parents will have, at least in the short and medium term, about isolating, about their children having to isolate. Or the children themselves having to isolate. So things like getting to school, but also childcare, if the children are forced to isolate for that period of time. So that's one of the things, when we think of ways of dealing with uncertainty, it helps to take some kind of control. One of the things is to plan ahead for if we or family members or co-workers have to isolate. That's one of the things that we can maybe plan for to help reduce some of that uncertainty. Well, I'll be interested to get your thoughts on a few more things that we can do to to help reduce the uncertainty and and gain back more control. But I think it's a really interesting point that you're making there. And and particularly, I think it's interesting that I suppose mental health is becoming a little bit more prominent in the discussion. And, you know, maybe maybe some people out there may have thought that it, it... hadn't necessarily been as prominent as it should have been up till now but I think yeah as you say it's an important step to make towards the end of the pandemic I think in some ways and like I heard a a really poignant example of that the other day dad and it really came to mind for me then and uh, it was when I was catching up with some friends who you know hadn't seen for a little while and they've got young kids now and unfortunately didn't get to catch up with their kids but uh, but got to see them anyway and they were telling me about their their three-year-old twins and their one-year-old and obviously you know the the pandemic has, has been most of their life and they were telling me that they had some friends over the other day and the kids just screamed the whole time. Just literally could not deal with strangers in their house. Wow. And so it was so poignant to me because it was sort of like, well, of course, like for those kids, they would have no experience, no sort of lived memory or no, you know, memory of other people being in their house. And, you know, they'd, you know, dad's best mate would be this kind of strange, you know, big man who sort of, you know, not not in my safe space, what are you doing here sort of thing. And so I think now that we are at this stage where, you know, certainly not wanting to trivialise the danger for, for particularly, you know, elderly people and people with immunocompromised difficulties and that sort of thing. But I think at the same time with, you know, whether it be Omicron, which does seem a little bit more mild in many ways, I think it is 
time that we start to have a bit of a conversation about how can we restore that balance? How can we put a little bit more emphasis on our mental health and putting practices in place that are going to enhance and benefit our mental health? And and yeah, but, but for me, that was just a poignant example of we're a, a fair way into the pandemic now. And, and I think maybe there is room for some more considerations outside of just our physical health and the danger that the virus potentially gives us to our physical health. Yes, and so there are things that also we can do to manage that physical health threat and a number of people are choosing their own version of social isolation. I know many older people or people who feel more vulnerable for whatever reason who are choosing to relatively avoid contact with other people or at least really reduce the risk. We can all keep up some level of physical distancing using masks, uh, hygiene practices. There's still things like that that we can do and there will still be regulations around forced social isolation and things like that if people contract COVID. So there will still be measures that we can look at that way. But I think that when we look at how we can take control or move forward from here, there's both the short term, like how we deal with things in a more immediate sense, including if we have to go through a period of socialisation, if we have to adapt our work practices in some way to enable more work to be done when people are isolating or there are other things that we might have to adapt that way. But there's a bigger picture that we need to consider. Like you mentioned with that one-year-old, that three-year-old child, we still need to consider some kind of ongoing development. And that includes for students, it includes for workers, it includes for us personally. We can't just go for three, four years, we don't know how long this pandemic will continue, but we can't just go on with having all of our plans on hold. Unless there's something that we're developing further in ourselves, some further skill development, some further learning, some further maybe building something that we're working on. Now this can include, if you like, developing hobbies and interests and engaging in the usual things that we might like to do but it can involve something more than that certainly something involving learning schooling for children or skill development or those people working how how they can add in some way to what they can currently do in other words as human beings we have some kind of need to grow so part of the question is how can we build some of that in well on the one hand maybe it's worth having somewhat more modest or narrow expectations than we otherwise would have if there was no pandemic because plans can change and we can just get even more frustrated if we aim for something to happen which relies us not having to socially isolate for example but by the same token there'll still be some kind of skills we can develop some kind of learning we can do there can still be some projects that we might work on and apart from some of the specific every day, week by week, things that we'll talk about shortly as well, things like physical exercise for our physical and mental health, having some consideration for is there a goal that we might have for this year? Is there something that we would like to develop in terms of a skill? Is there something else that we would like to do in terms of a work direction? So I think it's a matter of not just dismissing those goals, whereas in the past when we talked about other stages of the pandemic, when we had that episode on fighting the flat feeling or lightening the load, that was about bearing with some of the challenge, the burnout, the despondency, the grief that could go with an extended period of dealing with lockdowns and things like that. Well, now, even though there's uncertainty, 
we want to accept some of that and allow for that and have somewhat adaptable plans, but still be doing something going forward, having some kind of project direction idea, whatever that might be. and might even be developing some of our ways for stress management because we've been challenged so much in that area. It might be learning yoga or meditation or doing something like that, but probably something around our learning and skill development in other ways as well. Well, I think that's such an important point. And, and you know, I mentioned at the start of the podcast talking about, you know, coming back to work and, you know, wanting to launch into the year with this momentum and almost having that feeling that it is similar to last year. Well, I think it's almost, it, it's a fine balance to be had. And I think, you know, there's, there's pressure both ways, if that makes sense, in terms of, yeah, you know, like conditions may not be absolutely perfect, but at the same time, it, it's not worth just, for example, labelling the start of this year is a continuation from last year and not looking at it in terms of, you know, well, what can I do and, and what extra motivation and energy do I have at the moment? I think particularly with all that we've been through over the last couple of years, it can be easy in a way to look at a situation and almost just go, that, that's the same stuff, there's been nothing that's changed and particularly maybe, you know, like I know for me, getting away and being able to, I suppose, demarcate the years was not necessarily something I was able to do last year. I think I had about a day in, in, up in New South Wales and had to come back and isolate for two weeks and that was the start of my year. Whereas this year I was able to get away a little bit and so even mentally that demarcation has allowed me to come back and go, well, yeah, like obviously, you know, there's some similarities, there's some feelings that are similar and you don't necessarily want to put yourself in a situation where you're setting yourself up to fail. But at the same time, like, you know, I do have a lot more energy than I did have at the end of last year. And, and there are things that I suppose even are different now in terms of, you know, resources that we can draw upon and, and even friendships that have gotten to a certain stage that may not necessarily have been there if it weren't for the pandemic and certain things that we could connect over. So I think it's it's a balance to be had in terms of, you know, really launching into something. You don't necessarily go too hard into something where, you know, then six months to a year's time, it is potentially going to be a slightly different year to a, to a non-pandemic year. So we don't necessarily want to set ourselves up for failure. But I think just because, you know, there are some things going on that have been going on for a little while, it doesn't necessarily mean that we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that, well, conditions are, you know, completely oppressive and we're not going to be able to do something and, and it's not worth, I suppose, putting some, some time and energy into thinking of something that we can engage ourselves in, that we're going to get something out of. Yes, I think what you're expressing there too, I would see that as a degree of realistic hope. And part of that is recognising some things that are a bit different from last year or maybe some things that are more encouraging. And one of those things would have to be the relative success, it would seem, of the vaccines overall and also how, at least with the current strain, that seems to be less virulent. So there's certainly some things that are positive there. But also part of a bigger picture is even if we're not there yet, we can see some signs at the moment of this pandemic shifting to more endemic illness, like a series of flu-like illnesses. And so as they look at pandemics of the past, they've never lasted forever. Actually, I heard someone suggest that many past pandemics have lasted around about five years. Well, I hope that's certainly not the case now, and hopefully vaccines and other kind of measures can help contain that. But the thing is, we don't know exactly how long it will go on for, but we know it won't go forever. And there already are hints of shifting to a more endemic kind of situation because many people have contracted COVID in recent times and it has been more like 
and even relatively mild flu-like illness for many people. So that can give us some kind of encouragement. But we can also acknowledge that we've shown a lot of adaptations in the past couple of years. Many of us have fared better than we otherwise might have expected. There have been all sorts of things, including in the health field, the use of telehealth that's transformed an industry and its ways of offering a service. There'll be that in many other areas. So the challenges that we face are time-bound. But in the meantime, if we don't just, say, give up, throw up our hands in the air and say, well, there's nothing we can plan, there's nothing much to hope for, like you said, we can look ahead with some level of hope or planning. And I should mention, to help us have that more positive mindset, part of it is also looking at our own recipe of keeping up some of our own well-being in the here and now, day by day, week by week. And that certainly for many people includes physical exercise, some level of engaging in hobbies and interests, reminding ourselves of things that we can do, including if we're socially isolating, but having some kind of activities that add to our level of well-being and and even planning at that more simple day-by-day level, that helps us maintain a certain level of mood, which also might help us hold on to more of that relative hope or some level of enthusiasm about the future, even if it's muted. Well, I think it's something as well that, you know, I know for myself anyway over the last couple of years, probably got out of the habit of planning things a little bit because, you know, any plan that you'd make, it'd inevitably be uh, be thwarted by something. But at the same time, I think it's such a good point that, you know, we are in a stage now, look, you know, things, obviously there's going to be some slight changes in terms of restrictions here and there, but I think we've got a pretty good idea of, you know, what even a period of isolation looks like and that sort of thing. And and for me anyway, like, I actually must admit, Dad, when I was up in New South Wales, I, I thought for sure I'm getting COVID, you know, whether it be on the plane back or whatever, I thought, you know what, I'll have an isolation week at home and I was actually looking forward to it. I was thinking, you know, I can do this, I can do that. There's that many good docos out at the moment, Dad. I'll tell you what, it's the glory years for documentaries at the moment. So I was sort of thinking, geez, I wouldn't mind, you know, doing this. There's, you know, maybe that TV show that I haven't started and, of course, come back, test negative, you know, obviously feeling fine and and missed out on my little isolation and so I almost feel like, oh, geez, like, feel a bit robbed and, you know, wouldn't mind a period of isolation. But it's interesting talking to you about this now I suppose inadvertently in doing that and just thinking, you know, there's, there's no way I'm not getting COVID out of this situation. I had planned an isolation and I'll tell you what, it, I reckon it would have been the most fun isolation I've had because all the most previous ones, you're sitting there, you know, feeling just kind of horrible and you're lamenting the situation and going, ah, oh, this is rubbish, you know, I'd rather be somewhere else. Whereas, you know, I was very much thinking what I had planned at least, it was, uh, it was looking like a good couple of days. Yes, well, look, I think that in itself is a really important thing, realising that there are things that we can plan to do in the shorter term that we'd like to do, but also some medium to longer term, if not full plans, some kind of modest plans or direction. And this relates to the theme that we'll be talking about more in our next podcast, I understand, about flow more generally. The idea of flow is that we're so engaged in what we're doing at the time because what we're doing is so enjoyable or productive or meaningful or engaging in some way, that in a sense we get lost in it. Time passes, we lose track of time. 
And that's one of the things that helps if we're engaged in hobbies that we enjoy or if we have work roles that we find really satisfying in some kind of way, these broader kind of roles or learning in some areas where we have a particular interest. So we will talk about that broader theme of flow next time, but it's partly looking at at a micro level, if you like. It could be watching an engaging documentary or it could be a conversation with a friend or it could be playing golf or swimming or or knitting or often work activities as well. But recognising there are things that we can do that engage us at that level as well as have some plans for things that might help us develop our skills and interests further. Oh, well, that's something I'm very much looking forward to getting into with you, Dad, because, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, Mahali Csikszentmihalyi who, who came up with the theory of flow and, and wrote a lot about flow. And, look, if nothing more than to be able to say his name a few more times, because it's one of the great names of all time, I reckon, Mahali Csikszentmihalyi. So very much looking forward to getting into that with you next episode, because I think it is something that, yeah, we can all really benefit from at the moment is that knowledge of flow. And even at the very least, if we do find ourselves in a situation where we are, you know, in flow and, and, and we're not experiencing the passage of time as well, even just to be able to recognise that, look back on it and go, hey, you know, even in the current set of circumstances where we're in the third year, the third calendar year now of restrictions and, and things have been pretty tough, if I can be in a situation where I can still experience that, then, you know, it must point to it being something that's pretty, you know, meaningful to me that I've got a real passion for. So very much looking forward to to getting into that with you and and unpacking that a bit more in the next episode. Yes, and sadly, I could use his easier name, Mike. He (laughs) referred to himself as as well. Mike Chick sent me high, sadly died late last year. And we had an episode on another psychology great who died, Aaron or Tim Beck, who died late last year. And so it seemed timely to come back to this concept of flow, which Csikszentmihalyi developed in the early 80s, I believe, just a profound concept and the understanding that he had with it of how we can engage more fully in our lives. And I must say, over recent weeks, one of the main ways that I experienced flow was reading his book, Flow, well, almost completing it. I've got about one or two chapters to go, but it's, again, fascinating stuff. It's a, it's a deep understanding he had about people and what moves us. So I look forward to that episode next time as well, Rowan. Oh, well, good old Dad. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about all this today. I Look, I must admit, you know, like as you know, came in here today and, and before we recorded today's podcast, I was even just, you know, having to think about things and I must admit, I, was, I wasn't actually feeling great about it all. It was sort of, you know, we're heading into another year, there's restrictions and, you know, Dad, I'm a big tennis fan and usually January's for, for having an escape from all the worries and the issues of the world and as a tennis fan, there's not much of an escape from that at the moment. But that's all right and after chatting with you about this today, it's... I feel a little bit more in control at least, you know, I know that there's certain things that I can focus on and certain things that it'd probably be good to ignore for a little bit and yeah, I think it's a, a good little refresher in, in how many tools that we do have at our disposal and, and if we do focus on the things that will be more beneficial for us to focus on, we'll be in a much better set of circumstances, so thank you. Yes, I could see why you were skirting around mentioning Novak Djokovic because this could have taken quite a different turn, this podcast, couldn't it, if we did discuss him more directly in his situation. But yes, if we start off recognising some of the ways that we do feel that frustration, that even exasperation in some ways, but if we can look ahead with a bit of a different feeling, some level of hope or interest, then we're doing well. Very much so. So I actually didn't 
um, mentioning dad for good reason. So you've got me going now. Oops, so we're okay, going to keep right. going. I'll, all right. Opened a wound. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll continue our conversation off the podcast, but thanks so much again. Thanks, Rowan.